Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. You can go to BibleQuest.org at any time for more information, but right now we're going to be streaming live on YouTube where you can post your comments in the chat window at any time during the live stream, and the panelists will gladly respond to your chat. And so with all of that said, Joe, you're taking it away today. I am. We are missing uh, Jeff Smelser. He is not in uh, Exton, Pennsylvania today. He is traveling, uh, uh, doing uh, the Lord's work uh, elsewhere. So I'm in Elmira, New York, as usual. And uh, Chase Byers is with us again, a usual participant here on uh, this webcast. Chase, good to have you back. Yeah, good to be on today. We're missing Jeff for sure. Can't wait to have him back next week. Absolutely. So today we're going to talk about a somewhat heavy topic. Um, uh, the title um, uh, of what our discussion is going to be is regarding the promised land, past, present, and future. Uh, wanting to examine uh, some ideas from the Bible and some ideas that are not from the Bible that, that but many people think that they are. So we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what's going on in uh, the land of Israel currently. Uh, I suspect that maybe everybody that's listening uh, is already familiar with a, a number of the details of the horrors that are taking place um, uh, in uh, that land. And uh, we're going to back up a little bit to talk about uh, the way that that land came to be um, uh, in uh, Jewish hands and uh, some of the struggles that have taken place there from the Bible's vantage point, uh, as well as what that might or might not mean for today. And then looking forward to uh, the promised land in the future and what the Bible might say about that. Uh, and so yeah. this is a, a pretty serious topic. Um, uh, we certainly uh, want to uh, deal with it respectfully and first honoring God, but also recognizing that there's a lot of broken hearts right now. Um, uh, I don't know of anybody personally involved in the conflicts, but a number of my friends do. And so uh, I'm, I'm mindful of those. Do you have a thought there, Chase? No, I, I just was going to touch on that. I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about the history of it here in just a second. But uh, because it is such a, a hot topic and um, sometimes these kind of discussions can be approached with no real reverence for not just the Lord, but also reality of people losing their lives and um we don't want to at all distance ourselves from that reality. And so we're going to say a prayer here. I know we don't always do that at the beginning of our episodes, but we're going to do that on this one because we want to be mindful of those who this is impacting and ask the Father to, to intervene. So why don't we go ahead and pray now for that? Our Father in heaven, we approach you recognizing that you are the God of all nations. And Father, although many that are listening and Joe and myself and Drew and Jeff are over here in the United States. We recognize that there is hurt, that there is war, that there is there is unrest and and sorrow and heartache all over the world, but especially in the land of Israel right now and in the land of Gaza. And Father, we pray that you would have your intervening hand on that so that death may stop on both ends. 
and that father you can have your hand on that situation where your justice is done where you take vengeance for yourself and that man can learn to set down on their swords and turn them into plowshares and to to use them for the the work that needs to be done in your greater kingdom that's not just in israel but across the world father we thank you for sending jesus to teach us that message of reconciliation and we pray that through his name and through his ministry and through his teaching that people can see the peace that can come through understanding who he is and what it means to be a part of his kingdom. And Father, we pray for those who are especially vulnerable, those who may be um, maybe mothers or the children or the those who are weak, the elderly, and we pray that you comfort them and protect them from the horrors that are happening. And we pray, Father, that your will be done. And we thank you, Father, for being a God who's still involved in this world. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so I think this is one of these topics that we could, from the Bible's vantage point, literally go from Genesis to Revelation and uh, mm -hmm. find passages that are relevant to the Promised Land. Um, uh, maybe beginning in Genesis 12, when uh, Abraham is brought into uh, uh, this land uh, as a sojourner and as a pilgrim, he lives there, and yet he is promised that his descendants would receive uh, that land, um, uh, that, that they would um, uh, receive the, the country that, that God is going to, to give to them, Genesis 12 and in verse 1. We see that promise repeated a few more times. Um, one that I want to emphasize in particular would be Genesis 15, when God is making this covenant with Abraham and with Sarah. And uh, he says, just for time's sake, drop down to maybe verse 13, God speaking to Abram. Then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. That's talking about the Egyptian bondage. And then in verse 14, and also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so while Abraham is living in the promised land as somebody who is just a visitor, if you will, sojourner and a pilgrim he identifies himself as um he is promised by god that his descendants are going to return and inhabit that land in mm -hmm. verse 16. um uh, and then that promise is given it's repeated multiple times to abraham it's then given to isaac and then it's given to to jacob as well um uh, maybe chapter 28 um, sure. just for, for reference sake here quickly, um, uh, I had the verse and now I've lost it. Um, uh, well, that's because I'm looking at chapter 27. Uh, it'd be helpful if I was in the right chapter, wouldn't it? Um, uh, and so in verse 12, uh, talking about Jacob, then he dreamed and behold, the ladder was set up on earth. It reached to the heaven and there the angels of God were descending and descending on it. 
And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. And so this promise has been extended to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, that in the future, their descendants are going to receive that land. Mm -hmm. And so then, uh, I don't know if you have anything else in in Genesis, Uh, feel free to, to jump in there. Well, no, of course, the whole narrative of Genesis is us anticipating that land, though. Right. And at this point, Israel or Jacob himself, I mean, he doesn't have very many people in his life. But the rest of the Genesis narrative is about God fulfilling kind of that first part of the promise that Abraham would turn into a great nation. And so before God gives him the land, first he grows the people. And so Jacob, of course, will have 12 sons. And they will multiply and their offspring, they'll end up in Egypt. But you're anticipating, okay, there's they're big, there's a lot of people. When is God going to deliver on that promise? And so by the end of Genesis, there they are in Egypt, but it's not the land that God promised. And of course, it's not until Exodus, 400 years later, the Pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph. And he has turned the entire Jewish nation, the Israelites, Abraham's offspring, into slaves, well over a million people at this point. And Moses will meet God at the burning bush where God will tell him to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. After the 10 plagues, finally Pharaoh will let the people go and they go into the wilderness and they go to Mount Sinai where God has this covenant agreement with Israel on what it's gonna look like to be his people. And And he also gives them a little information about what it will look like to live in the land that he's going to give them. But the book of Exodus isn't about them exiting and then entering, is it, Joe? Right, right. Yeah, it's preparing a a holy nation to to be uh, what God wants them to be. Um, uh, In the meantime, preparing them for this holy land that they are going to dwell in. And, of course, when we talk about the holy land, its holiness is based upon the presence of God, right? You know, that's what makes the land holy. Uh, sure. Because in the meantime, there's a bunch of pagan people, people who aren't the chosen people of God, who are living in the land. So it's not holy then. Right. And there's some obstacles to that. As you're reading through the book of Exodus, you're like, well, God's taken him to a land that he's allowed to be possessed for hundreds of years and has civilizations and generations of warriors. And of course it's in the book of numbers that they get to the promised land and they send 12 spies in 10 come out saying, we're not, we can't do this. We're not going to take the land. And for 40 days they had been spying it out. And so as a consequence for their lack of faith, God says for every, Every day you spend spying it out, it'll be a year in this wilderness before you can go in. And that will give time for this unfaithful generation to die off. And then Joshua and Caleb and the remaining children will be allowed to go into the promised land. Um, But it's amazing, Joe. I'm teaching our high schoolers right now here at Fishers, and we're going through the book of Joshua, and we're talking about this land where some of the first wars began. And it's it's amazing to me every time I read Joshua, you know, we, we just drill it in our kids' Bible classes. This is the conquest of the land where Israelite comes in, Israel comes in and they they fight everybody. But when you're reading the stories, 
the Israelites are doing this much fighting and God is doing this much fighting. The stories of their conquest is heavy on God doing the delivering and the children of Israel really not doing much. I recall one story where it said more people died by these hailstones that God had sent down than what the Israelites themselves did. But God dispossesses the land for them and it is there where the Jewish nation then marches in, starts living in homes that they did not build, harvesting farms that they did not plant, and they take over that land, and it's allotted to the 12 tribes of Israel. Great, yeah. And so even before they made it into the land, uh, mentioned just a couple of passages um, from our all of our favorite Old Testament book, uh, the book of Leviticus, um, uh, uh, Leviticus chapter nine, uh, chapter eighteen. Uh, God is through Moses. God is telling the people that they need to be holy, um, uh, as they and and that's a that is a condition for them remaining in the land. They've not yet taken the land, as you said. Leviticus happens during that Mount Sinai event before they get to the Promised Land. Yeah. But he says, for example, in verse three, don't act like the Egyptians. And don't act like the Canaanites in whose land you're getting ready to go into. And then at the end of Leviticus 18, he says that don't do these abominable things, this, this, all these immoral things, because it was those immoral things. That's the reason why God kicked the Canaanites out. Remember, he said in Genesis 15 that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. Now, by the time of Moses, it is full. And the language is so vivid here. He says a couple of times, God says, I'm going to vomit them out of the land. Mm-hmm. And then he tells the Israelites, and if you act like the Canaanites, I'll vomit yeah. you out also. And then he specifically talks about them being cast out of the land in Leviticus 26. And I just think I, I want to add these thoughts, you know, even as we're thinking yes. about Israelites there that their, their living in the land was always conditional for their obedience. And so in passages mm-hmm. like Leviticus 26, you see those, if you obey, then this, and if you don't obey, then this. And for example, Leviticus 26 and verse 27 and following, but especially you get down to verse 32, I'll lay the land desolate. I'll, I'll bring the land to desolation. Your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I'll scatter you among the nations and draw the sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. And so he's talking, then he talks about the, the 70 years that's going to take place there, um, where it's going to lie waste and so forth in verse 34 and following. So he's made it really clear. This land isn't yours in perpetuity. It's not yours you know, forever. Um, uh, it is conditional uh, for them. Is there a passage in Leviticus? I know there is in Numbers, but I can't get my eyes on it. But where it talks about God, also one of the conditions he gives is when you go into the land, you have to completely dispossess all of the people. Um, you can't leave a little bit in because they're going to be like thorns in your side or barbs in your eyes. Does Leviticus have any statements like that? Um, I'm drawing a blank on if that is directly in Leviticus. Uh, boy, what a great question. Um, uh, I feel like I should be able to turn right to that one. Um, uh, but certainly in, I'm thinking, let me check here, Deuteronomy 7. Um, would that yeah. uh, take care of that? 
Um, it should. Uh, Deuteronomy yeah. 7, 2, when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them, utterly destroy them, make no covenant with them, or show no mercy to them. Yes. And so what's fascinating about that, when you get into the book of Joshua, I just did this with our high schoolers, like I was saying, there's these really fun chapters. It's called Joshua 11 through 19, where if you're not careful, you read right past four verses in those chapters where it's talking about the allotment of the land and the people coming in and dispossessing, where it'll say, and they didn't dispossess these people, or they couldn't overcome this specific group of people. And there's four passages that specifically mention some Canaanites that are left in the land. And those are going to be the very ones that come back to bite them in the end because they have an effect, a direct effect on the holiness of Israel, like Joe was talking about. Right. Um, on that note, I was also going to say, let's see if I can remember my train of thought. Um, when when they do get into the land, one of the things that, that Joshua does with the people uh, this is in, in Joshua, the fifth chapter. He has them consecrate themselves. They observe the Passover for what might be the first time since they did it in the wilderness because many of them had not been circumcised. Correct. But it's at the end of chapter 8 where they build an altar on Mount Ebal and the children of Israel rededicate themselves to God. Mm -hmm. And something that Joe said from the book of Leviticus happens here in De Deuteronomy as well. It says, afterward, Joshua read, this is in Joshua 8.34, afterward, Joshua read aloud all the words of the law, the blessings as well as the curses, according to all that is written in the book of the law. And there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded Joshua that was not read before the entire assembly of Israel, including the women, the dependents, the resident aliens who lived among them. So the blessings as well as the curses and that gets to what Joe was talking about, is that God said there are certain rules you have to abide by if you're going to live in my holy land, and there's going to be consequences if you don't. And that really sets up what we want to talk about, doesn't it, Joe? Right, exactly. And so as we think about the horrors that are taking place, and again, we want to emphasize that, that what's happening right now, present tense in the land uh, that we're discussing, this territory, is absolutely terrible. The slaughtering of innocent civilians, babies especially, um, just a terrible, terrible thing. Um, but one of the things that people will sometimes talk about is that that land belongs to the Jews because God promised that to them. Now, you know, the, the acts of terrorism are terrible. They should not happen. Uh, we want to be really clear about that. But I think it is a mistake to use the Bible to argue that this is Jewish land forever. The promises right. that were given to the children of Israel were fulfilled. God gave them that land. You're mentioning Joshua. Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45. God gave them that land. He gave them rest from all around. Um, uh, the Lord delivered their enemies. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass, Joshua 21, 43 through 45. So the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was repeated at the burning bush to Moses in Exodus 3, to the children of Israel in Leviticus 18 and 26. That's been fulfilled. God gave that to them, but it was conditional. And yep. so then... We go through the next book, the book of Judges. We see them with all of these struggles and these fights because they did what? 
they failed to honor God. Um, yeah. And so they they ended up having all of these enemies prevailing over them because they failed to to honor God. Yeah. And then we get to the period of the United Kingdom. Saul has his difficulties. David again struggles. There's a period of peace with Solomon, but then with Rehoboam and Jeroboam as kings of the divided kingdom, uh, again, just a lot more difficulties that come about because of their disobedience to God over and over. They just become a regular nation in, in essence. They're, 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 they're not really serving God. Uh, there are there are some exceptions to that. Uh, there's some generations like Hezekiah's and Josiah's, Jehoshaphat's for a period of time, Asa for a period of time, I guess. But for the most part, they're not really serving God. And so that threat that God gave in Leviticus 26 eventually comes to pass and God expels them or to use God's language, vomits them out of the land. And uh, so then they go into Babylonian, Assyrian for the north and Babylonian for the south. Uh, they go into Babylonian captivity. When we get to that point, then God allows them to come back and even allows them to rebuild the temple. Um, uh, and so the prophets talk to them about that and, and warn them uh, in regards, again, the same principles, right? that they need to they need to turn to God. They they need to obey the Lord in those things. Zechariah and Haggai uh, deal with that time period. Again, mentioning that these things are conditional, that they need to turn their hearts to God. And if they fail to, then the same thing is going to happen again, that they're going to be overthrown. Um, so anything that, that kind of runs us quickly through, we spent about the half of our time to get just through the Old Testament there. No, but it's, it's a wonderful example that God consistently, even through the Old Testament, that land was at war. And it was a constant up and down, up and down, up and down. And it was because, I mean, God said this is what, what was going to happen. But what people need to understand is that the, the, the relevant information about God taking the land away from Israel once and for all, it's in the New Testament, isn't it, Joe? Right, absolutely. Yeah, so you fast forward to the New Testament, and you've got the Romans ruling at this point. And it really is crazy. Like, if you just tried to remove all Bible information that you have, and or sorry, outside world historical power information that you have, and read the Old Testament, and then jump and start reading in the New Testament. Historically, you would be kind of like, "What? What happened here?" Yeah, you know, because you get to the end of the Old Testament, and you're like, "Well, they rebuilt the temple. They did this. They did that." But when you get in the New Testament, there's a lot about this Roman government that's like ruling the land of Israel, and the people are no longer meeting at the temple only, but they're meeting in synagogues. What happened? Well, the people got scattered across across all over the world at this point to the point where they can't travel back for the temple worship. And so there's these synagogues that have popped up all over the known world there or around in the, in the Bible lands. And it's there's all this information about the Romans ruling uh, the, the land of Israel at that point. 
Yeah, and so the Jews were looking for, based upon some of those Old Testament prophecies, they were looking for a restoration of the the, the nation of Israel to return to its Davidic glory. Uh, we really just observe the Passover and all of those promises of, of this uh, kingdom that was going to come, the, the descendant of David and so forth. But, you know, Zechariah, amongst others, emphasizes this king that they're going to rejoice over in the future. And so that's what they were looking for. When can we throw the shackles of, of Roman oppression off and be the nation that we were, you know, a thousand years earlier under King David? And so that's what the Jews were looking for when we turn to the New Testament but they had missed a point about those Old Testament prophecies, right? They were looking mm -hmm. for a physical restoration, the land and the throne and uh, Rome, uh, it is Israel's glory days, so to speak. But what were those prophecies really pointing to? They were pointing to a spiritual king and, and well, and a king of all kings that would be much greater than the hundreds of square miles there in the Middle East, right. something much larger than just that. Right. Yeah. So I don't know where you want to start at with that, Joe. Do you want to go over to Mark 11 and 12 and 13, or do you want to start even earlier? So I just make one mention that when Jesus comes, even the devil knows that the plan is greater than just that physical promised land in the temptations what is it that the devil offers Jesus? All of the nations will be right. yours if you'll just bow down and worship me, right? Matthew, the fourth right. chapter. Um, you know, even, the, even Satan understood that now what is in play is the whole world, not just this physical, this small section of land in the Middle East. Um, uh, so, yeah, just, just that... We have pretty quickly that idea that we're looking well beyond. I mean, we have that all the way from Matthew 1 when we start seeing these Gentiles being emphasized, Gentile women even emphasized in the lineage of Jesus. We're starting to see, wait, this is this is bigger than just Jew thing. Um, uh, the, this what, what this nation is going to be pointing to, uh, this kingdom, I should say, especially um, is is a world kingdom. And so there's turmoil for Jesus all throughout his ministry. There's this back and forth where people are trying to cubbyhole him. You have some who are thinking he's going to be this military leader. And then you have some who think he has no business teaching the things that he is if he's not some kind of military commander. And that's what causes all of this kind of strife among God's people and, and Jesus in specific. To the point where people kind of throw their hands up at Jesus and say, well, if he's not going to be what we think he is, then he's a blasphemer and he deserves to die. But Jesus, kind of in his final days, he will have one of his final run-ins with the Pharisees who were really upset with the way he was talking. And Jesus, in some really vivid imagery, prophesies and tells them what God's final say about the land of Israel is. And it all kind of begins with this story of a fig tree in Mark, the 11th chapter. Jesus has this entrance into Jerusalem on a cult where people are shouting Hosanna, uh, Hosanna in the highest. Uh, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Again, this expectation of this Jesus of Nazareth restoring the land to Israel. So Jesus, as he gets into Jerusalem, 
he sees this fig tree in Mark 11, and as he approaches it, although it has leaves on it, it has no figs. And he curses the tree, and the story just moves on. Mark tells us he gets into the city of Jerusalem, he gets to the temple, and he sees a bunch of people buying and selling and treating it as just a common place. And Jesus, in in a in a you know moment of righteous wrath and anger, overturns the tables and says, "It is is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves." And he leaves. And the next story tells us that the next morning they go back past that fig tree and it has withered away from the roots up and died. That right there is kind of the first indication of what Jesus is saying is going to happen to Jerusalem. Here he has approached a temple that looks like it's going to be full of good and righteous people. But when he gets closer, it is a wicked, rotten place with no fruit. And as a result, it's going to be cursed. Um, is that a fair assessment of that? Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on. You're spot on. And 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 even then from that uh, you know, powerful illustration uh, that he just leaves them to ponder, uh, the disciples at least, then he begins this confrontation with the religious leaders. They want to ask him about his authority. He challenges them. And then he tells this parable in verse 33 and following about this uh, vineyard that belongs to this man. The man represents God. Um, he has servants. That would be the, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day. Um, uh, the He has uh, servants that come to collect. That would, I think, likely be the prophets of old. And then he has his son that he sends. The vine dressers kill the son, intending it to take over the kingdom themselves. And the text tells us what's going to happen to them. Uh, well, the owner is going to come and destroy them and give the kingdom, uh, give the vineyard to others. Um, uh, even they answer that to themselves. Um, uh, verse 40 and following. So, uh, again, the idea that there's going to be consequences for their murder of Jesus Christ. Right. And for all the parables that they're confused about, it's in verse 12 of Mark 12 that it says they were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. Yeah. And so they left him and went away. So they, they understood what Jesus is saying. Yeah. What is the owner of the vineyard going to do? He's going to come in and he is going to kill everyone. I mean, for their treatment of his son. Right. Well, the, the language gets more specific in chapter 13, doesn't it, Joe? Yeah, it certainly does. Um, now, they are impressed. The disciples are, you know, oh, look at this temple. Isn't it beautiful? Look at these stones, Jesus. Isn't this a great structure? This wasn't Solomon's temple that was much much more magnificent. Um, uh, this was the, the temple that had been built during the time of Zerubbabel and Jeshua and refurbished then, uh, uh, restored maybe would be a better word, uh, during the time of Herod. They've spent decades trying to get it uh, back to a, a good situation. Um, and it's impressive. The disciples are commenting to Jesus about that, and he shocks them and says, it's going to be completely destroyed. Well, what does that, what would that mean if the main building in the main city of the nation of Israel is going to be 
absolutely destroyed, not one stone left upon another, what would that indicate is going to happen to everything else? It's all going to crumble. Everything, the system, the law, the people, everything is done. Right. Yeah. 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 The, the city is going to be destroyed. And what Jesus is prophesying here came to pass in the year 8070 um, uh, with Vespasian, a new king, new Caesar. His son Titus is the general who uh, finally executes the uh, the destruction of the temple uh, and the walls and the city. I mean, it is all uh, just destroyed. Um, uh, you know, the the writings that Josephus and others have, have talked about this is it's just horrific. We think about you know maybe the videos that we've seen or the pictures that we've seen happening today. What the Romans did was absolutely terrible um, uh, to uh, to the Jews in that day. Uh, I think Josephus says that 1.1 million Jews were killed during this time. Uh, over 2 million were taken captive um, uh, during this. So just terrible. But this was the consequence, the direct result of their rejection of Jesus. Right. Now, again, I want to pause. I feel like we need to keep throwing in these kind of disclaimers. I'm not at all saying that the Jews are suffering today because of what their ancestors did to right. Jesus. The, 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 the idea that the parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge is, is not to, to be applied here in any right. way, shape, or form. Um, but we're just giving the historical background for that. Right. Right. So ever since then, I mean, there's been efforts from the Jewish people or just the land that those who possess the land of Israel in general, I should say, to retake that land. I mean, this this is God's holy land. But what Joe emphasized earlier is exactly what Jesus is emphasizing in his kingdom about the land. It's about the people. Are the people holy and are they following God? Are they following his will? That, that's what it's about. And Jesus, he never made it about the land. I don't know if you want to transition here to our third thing we wanted to talk about, Joe. But I think about Jesus's, one of his final conversations with the disciples. Jesus says in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Uh, troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is not talking about Jerusalem. I think we, we understand that. He's going where the Father is. And he's preparing a place for us there, a much better city. And if we want to go with him, we have to follow him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It was never about that land. It was about going to be where the Father is, where he is, where the Holy One is, and to dwell with him forever. Yeah. And so if I can make a quick comparison, and somebody else made this yesterday. I was reading an article um, that what is happening right now in the land of Israel is their 
you know, uh, when terrorists attacked the Twin Towers and uh, uh, Washington, D.C., and, uh, you know, the other plane that fell in uh, the field in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, thousands of, uh, of, of innocent people got perished in that, died in that uh, terrorist activity, uh, very similar to, uh, to what's happening here, terrorists attacking. I, I like that comparison because, like you just now said, at this point, that land is not a special holy land. It's a land just like America or Brazil or Germany or Japan. It's just a piece of land. Um, uh, and because of what had happened in the past, it's special. I mean, it holds a lot of archaeological value. It has great memories, great teachable places in it and so forth. I would love to one day be able to go there and, and see all of those things. But it is not a place that is reserved for God's people or that it's going to, uh, that, 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 that the Jews are God's people today just by birthright. Um, uh, and a number of New Testament passages would would bring that out. Um, one of the ones that I would want to just kind of emphasize as a as a general principle would be found in the book of Galatians, in uh, Galatians the third chapter, and uh, begin in uh, verse twenty six. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor, slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, this promise here is not the land promise, but the promise of salvation um, uh, that uh, through uh, uh through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We are a part of that. Um, but the thing I want to emphasize is that we are descendants of Abraham by faith, according to Galatians 3.29. And so we kind of, where we began back there in Genesis 12 and the promises that were given to Abraham, was Abraham looking for uh, clearly, God said this physical land, in fact, when he said that to Jacob in Genesis 28, it's the land on which you now lie. You know, he was lying down. He said, this land that, that your back is against, that's the land I'm going to give you. But were they looking, was that the end of that promise? Was was that all that, you know, once they got that physical dirt, was, was that all that they understood? The Hebrew writer, I think, helps us to see that there's something far greater that even those people all the way back there, and it is remarkable that they could understand this. They had such spiritual eyes, right? Yes. And do you, do you have a particular place you want to pick up in Hebrews, maybe? Or I was thinking about verse 13. Because sure. Because it says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It was never about that land. and It was about a land to come. And when you think about it for us as well, 
we don't receive the promise of heaven on this side of eternity. We all die without getting it. It's after we die that we get it. We're no different than Abraham. And that's what the Hebrew writer's whole point is. And if what we're saying is true, if that Jesus's plan is to come back, set up that earth or set up that kingdom over there in Jerusalem, and then all of us Christians and Jews go to that land, it contradicts exactly what the Hebrew writer is saying here. No, we have to die, and then we go to the place that the Father prepared, or that Jesus prepared with the Father. And it's not in Israel. So the, the land was a physical representation or a symbol to point to this spiritual, this heavenly country that you just quoted there, just like the temple that was built and all of the articles within it were intended to point to something greater. Um, yeah. You know, back in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, he talks about the articles that were in the temple. Um, uh, but they were pointing out that there was something that was yet to be manifested. Christ came at Hebrews 9 and verse 11 as high priest of good things to come, with greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Right. So it's not the land, Hebrews 11, 13 and following. It's not the temple. Sometimes I'll hear people talk about, but isn't God going to allow the Jews to rebuild the temple and in Jerusalem, and, and then that'll be the place of worship? No, it's the temple there, the tabernacle that's in heaven uh, that is currently there. That whole, the tabernacle of Moses, the temple of Solomon, the, the temple of Jeshua and Zerubbabel, uh, the temple in Jesus' day, those were physical symbols. They, they, they were like a model that was helping us to understand what heaven was going to be like. Yes. Um, uh, and so we need to be striving for that, and we need to be encouraging others to do the same. Another way it's talked about in the book of Hebrews is rest. In chapter 4, he says in verse 1, Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest, in keeping with what he has said, so I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. So the rest that we have to come is not the same that they had. I mean, even once they got into the promised land, there was turmoil, there were fights. The Hebrew writer is saying, we have a much better rest in Christ, an eternal Sabbath rest. And he talks about that in verse 9. Therefore, Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. And yeah. so uh, it, it, it all ties together and it points to this eternal rest that God has in mind for us. Yeah. And so we, we have a question here about uh, are the Arabs of the seed of Ishmael? Um, I think that there may be something to that. It's always it's somewhat difficult for me to always follow yeah. because sometimes we're looking at land, but we're not necessarily looking at the same residence of land. Yeah. Ask next week when Jeff is on. That's a Jeff question. That's a good, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's such a, a great question, Randy, that we're going to leave that one for, for Jeff. That, that's a good way. Uh, it's a very valid question. Yeah. And, and so sometimes people will want to tie together this Isaac and Ishmael with the people today. And the, the fact is, those people have always been fighting. You know, we, we, again, we skipped over a bunch of the divided kingdom. 
they've always been fighting over this land um and the fact that when they were with god and god was blessing them they prevailed god prevailed like chase aptly said earlier they really did this much of the work and god did all of it um uh, but after they killed the son that land ceased to be holy the temple was destroyed pointing to this greater tabernacle in heaven that we're dwelling in, uh, that we seek to dwell in. We're almost out of time here. Let me just mention that, again, the horrors that are taking place, the terroristic attacks, we are not condoning in any way, shape, or form. It is Hitler-esque um, uh, and uh, seeking to exterminate the people based upon their religion or their nationality. Uh, what Hitler did to the Jews, what he did to the Polish, what he did to people of other colors. You know, that's not based on uh, a, a specific nation being God's people, but upon the principles that were made in the image of God. And we need to love one another and uh, that those that kill are, are going to face, face the wrath of God. Those who murder are going to face the wrath of God. Uh, and so we, again, continue to pray for those who are suffering mightily um in in israel and even those that are in the palestine land that are suffering because of these terrorists the the consequences of their terrorists there are innocent people all around there um it, it's a horrific situation um but it's because of the the lack of love for christ amen well said Okay, well, we will conclude here and hopefully Jeff will be back with us next week. Uh, I wanna thank you very much for participating. And if you have any further questions, feel free to uh, put those in the comments. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Bible Quest podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion and found it beneficial. If you have any questions or comments about what was discussed today, or if you have a particular topic that you'd like the panelists to talk about, you can go to BibleQuest.tv at any time and click on the Contact Us button in the upper right corner. Again, that's BibleQuest.tv. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.